0: Masterful, engaging, empowering, and differentiated. These are just a couple of the words I took away from my conversation with David Kirchin. David is the founder of Master Messaging, a company where he focuses on helping sales leaders accelerate revenue through high-value conversations and prospecting. The challenge that many advisors face daily is growth, and David has proven an ability to help advisors and other industry leaders increase sales by innovating the way they communicate and talk about the value they provide. Leveraging experiences with large companies like Quest Communications and the Old Bell South, David utilizes experience in newly adopted behavioral psychology to help leaders become better salesmen and women. Today, David explores the ways to better communicate in an environment where communication will be a differentiator. This is
1: Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner.
0: David, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you coming down to the studio. Yeah, yeah, happy to be here. Good, good. And we were just talking before we started to record, uh Kirkchen is a is a name I know, not just from you, but also being a baseball enthusiast uh, of Tim Kirkchen, and mm-hmm. you mentioned that everybody asked you that question. So I'm not unique in this, but uh, are you or are you not related to Tim Kirkchen?
1: No, they're 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 both uh, uh, fairly well-known Armenian names. Uh, and my second cousin uh, actually reached out to Tim uh, several years ago. It was like five or six years ago and uh, was able to get him on the phone, spent two hours on the phone and they could not figure out where our family lines had crossed. Um, but yeah, I, I, it typically it's from uh, the baseball lovers in the room when I'm doing workshops, somebody raises their hand and go, Hey, are you related to Tim? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'd like to be able to, but a uh, very personal guy. Um, Obviously, to spend two hours with a you know a, a
0: stranger trying to figure that out, right? Uh, but no relation. Are you a baseball enthusiast yourself? I mean, are you, is it run in the Kirchian blood, even though you may not be related?
1: Yeah, you know, to a certain degree. I've lived in Atlanta since 1970, so I've, okay. I've been here for the good times, the bad times, the mediocre times. Uh, but my uh, baseball enthusiasm comes really more from my two boys. Uh, so when they were growing up, uh, my oldest son was a huge baseball fan. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, he's going to school now to get a master's degree in applied math and statistics because he wants to be the next Moneyball guy. Nice. When he figured out he wasn't good enough to actually play
0: major league, he's yeah. like, "There's still an opportunity for me to be involved." You know what? That's so. Where is he going to school for that? Uh, NC State. Okay. So we uh, we went to a um, went to this uh, offsite. It was like a, a learning experience up at MIT and there they have some professors up there that do the same thing and so he came and talked to us about using data in sports and how teams can use data in a different way yeah. to gain an advantage. Moneyball of course is the example that we all know right. uh, but they looked at scenarios in terms of how they'll use data of, in soccer to make sure the speed of someone on a breakaway relative to the speed of other players can allow them to get an easier goal from that standpoint oh, and, wow. um, and then the one that always stands out is the Warriors uh, this stuff really gets because I'm a big sports guy and I think and I like numbers but the Warriors when when Steve Kerr came in to coach Mm -hmm. uh, he analyzed all their tapes to see why they were when when they won what happened and when they lost what happened and what he identified was is that when they won they had 330 passes or more on average and so what he said is that he just put up a number in the locker room it was 330 this is the number that we have to reach every game we have to get 330 passes every single game they went on to win the championship that year and now that data point passes per game is being monitored by all NBA teams because they want to say if I can reduce the passes per game, then I can win more from that standpoint. And so, yeah. I love that. Um, I'm actually somewhat jealous of your son because I think <laughs> that that is a an extremely uh, interesting um, profession. So, it, it when's, he, when's he get done with that?
1: Uh, next spring. He finished uh, classes next spring, so uh, I've got some connections here in the Atlanta sports community, so hopefully we can get him connected with the Braves sooner than later. That's
0: great. Braves, can all, we always need help there. We, yeah. we, I mean, we got a good team now, but we can always use help there. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing I want to talk about real quick before we hop into the the really, you know, this is the interesting stuff, but when we hop into the, kind of the boring stuff, I guess, <laughs> is y- you said that you run barefoot foot on concrete. And so you're a big runner because you yeah. ran you've done, you know, com- oh I would call it competitively in the peach tree. Mm-hmm. And uh and then you run barefoot on concrete. So no shoes, not even like the shoes of like the barefoot shoes, just straight skin to concrete. That's it. Yeah. And how far do you run? Um the the furthest I've run barefoot is eight miles. Eight miles. How do your feet look at the end of that?
1: Well see that that's a common misconception. Actually when I um uh, when I facilitate workshops, I actually kick off the workshop with my barefoot running story. Okay. And, and the reason for that is that it was six years ago. Um, you know, I've been running my entire life. It's something that, that I do not only for the physical aspect, but for the mental aspect.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if I've got a, a problem or a challenge or something I'm trying to work out either in my business or in my personal life, um, I find that when I'm running, I get the creative ideas and, and thoughts necessary to solve those problems. So, um, had a soccer injury in my 20s, blew out my knee. Uh, obviously, all those years of running, my knee has become arthritic. Mm-hmm. And so six years ago, I go to an a orthopedic surgeon, and guess what he says? Knee replacement, right? And uh, I look at him, I said, well, if I get a knee replacement, I can't run anymore. And he's like, well, you shouldn't be running. And so um, at the time, I read a book called Born to Run. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the book, he makes a case for it's actually healthier to run without any shoes on your feet. As a matter of fact, that was the book that spurred the whole barefoot running industry where they created the Vibram Five Fingers and all these other shoes. It came on the heels of the book. But what most people don't know is in the book, he says, run completely barefoot. Mm. Don't put anything on your, on your feet. Uh, so not to make this too, too long of a story, but the reason that I can run barefoot with an arth- arthritic knee is that when you take your shoes off, your nerve endings in your feet act as a feedback loop for the right way to run from a posture standpoint. I was taught with these big Nike cushion pillows on my feet, I was taught to run heel to toe. Yep. Plant your heel and roll to, roll to the uh, front part of your foot. Well, when you take your shoes off, you'll do that once and it'll be the last time you'll do it. Because you plant your heel on concrete, it hurts. Right. So you come down more on the front mid part of your foot. And when you do that, the shock goes into your foot and into your calf muscle. The shock doesn't hit your knee, your hips or your back. So that's Uh why I can run. And then the other thing, you asked about what does the bottom of my foot look like? So again, that's another misconception. You're running on concrete, which is like a pumice stone. Right. So I wouldn't say my feet are like baby fresh, but they they look normal. They look like anybody else's. There's not these huge
0: calluses that that build up. And I guess after you do it once, I mean, yeah, it just gets you. That's amazing. I would never even... Well, so I go, and back. also you're on that. I guess on that part of that foot, and we we're going to turn this into a running and a in a and <laughs> uh, a, a foot conversation. And when we start talking about feet, people are going to go away because my feet are not the best. Right. I will admit that. But you're running on like the a cushiony part of your foot too, right? Like right. that part of your foot is the front. It's a, a pad, so it's it's meant to be round. I mean, in theory, before people had shoes, they were doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, and and look at your heel, very little cushion. Right. right, that's why it hurts when you go like that onto the concrete. Right, interesting. Yeah. So I'm not going to try it. I'm going to I'm going to agree. <laughs> I'm going to believe you and use your experience and live vicariously through you on that. Uh, yeah. I'm not much of a runner, but uh, I, I will. Uh, I'll take your word for it from that standpoint. <laughs> uh, well, let's get. I, I'm actually I'm really excited about this conversation because I think that. Um, I think that the industry of financial advisors has always had a difficult time communicating value. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, if you look at where this industry has gone over the past, you know, call it 30 years, you know, 30 years ago, the way that you differentiate yourself was I have a better investment strategy than, than right. you do. Right. Uh, recently, it's kind of shifted to I do financial plan. I'll look at your holistic plan together uh, and put together this 5,000 page book for you. And right. um, and then now it's a matter of how do we differentiate ourselves going forward? And it's going to be through servicing value and services and a value. And, and that's always been a difficult thing for us to communicate. And I know that you focused on all industries, but you've worked with financial advisors. So I, mean, I, I think this is going to be an interesting conversation to, to, help, um, uh, to help advisors with that communication. And so I want to start on that, right? Okay. When you look at this wealth management industry and when you work with firms in this space, you know, what do you think that many financial advisors, wealth managers um, are missing when it comes to communicating with clients and prospects?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's not that much different. I know it's easy to pick on financial advisors because, um, you know, the, the world can look at them as somewhat of a commoditized market, mm-hmm. right? What, how are you different than another financial advisor? But you know what? That's playing out in uh, the marketplace in general. Um, What you've seen over the last 30 years is that companies used to hang their ability to sell on differentiating the product. Mm -hmm. So it was a faster product. It was a more efficiently made product. um, It had capabilities that another product didn't have. Um, But for the most part now, we live in a commoditized world. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, look at all the choices that we have. And so with all of these choices, um, from a uh, a company standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, as far as communicating value, you really have to identify something unique or something different. Um, And then the last frontier for actually communicating value, it's not around the product. It's in the way that you communicate with your prospects and customers. Uh, so there's a lot more emphasis on soft skills mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in all industries. It's coming down to the relationship between uh, the seller and the buyer um, and it's not so much the, the speeds and feeds and the technical uh, advantages and that's true in the financial services industry.
0: I want to dive down for a second into the way in the, the comment you made about the way you communicate right mm-hmm. because I think that what uh, I think what hurts our industry at times is that you have a lot of smart people. In the industry, not to toot my own horn, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you have a lot of smart people in the industry, and and they love to analyze the data. They love to analyze the economy. They love to analyze the numbers. Hence our conversation about data analytics and sports. Mm-hmm. And so they take that and they they try to break that down, and, and they want to talk about that. That's what they want to talk about to their client, but the clients like glossed over. Right, they don't want to deal with any of that. Right, and so it's the way you communicate, I think, is and that's the what, but the way you communicate needs to be different. And, and what do you mean by that when you say the way you communicate? Because maybe you could communicate about that data, but if you communicate in a different way, it may be more impactful. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, you know. so I typically make this statement, and it's, it's, it's a categorical statement of um, your prospects and customers, and this is true in the financial services world, they don't care about what you do. They don't. And when you buy a product, you don't necessarily care about what the product does. You care about the outcome that that product or service is going to create. So the mistake that um, that is made in all industries and certainly in the financial services industries is that because you live in this world of numbers and, and complexity um, – you, you just feel like if i if i talk about that that's going to win the day mm-hmm. if i just talk about the numbers and complexity and to your point no people just gloss over what they want to know is all that complexity what can you do that's going to create an outcome for me that's better than an outcome that i can get get anywhere else
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so when when you, you you talk about a product or service, you really shouldn't be talking about the product or service. You should be talking about what it does for or the outcomes that you're going to create. And one of the questions that um, is great to ask for any business professional, before you sit down and have a conversation with somebody, just ask this question. How is that person going to be better off as a result of doing business with you? Hmm. And, and what that does is that you can articulate because the answer to that question is going to be an outcome. Mm -hmm. They'll be able to do this better or they'll be able to do something that they haven't been able to do. They're going to be able to create an outcome that's going to make an impact or have value in their life. Mm. And you need to be able to answer that question without making any reference to what you do, right? So how are they – and it's interesting because I go to networking events all the time. And uh, instead of asking somebody, hey, what do you do? I ask them that question. Hey, so tell me how your prospects are better off as a result of new business. They look at me and they go, wow, that's a good question. I hear things like peace of mind. I uh, hear things like security. I hear things like um, I free up more time for them to spend on things that are more important to them. And then I circle back to them and I go, wait, so you you actually create more time for your prospects and customers? And they're like, yeah. And what happens is when they start talking about the outcome for their prospect or customer, mm-hmm. they get more energized, because to answer the question, who are you and what do you do? Well, I'm a financial advisor and I do this, this, and this. You know, most people it just kind of rolls off their tongue. There's no yeah. there's no passion behind it. Yeah. But when you start talking about how you can make another human being's life better as a, as a result of what you do. That has a whole lot of passion and energy to it, uh, and that that really is where you should start. You know, what are the challenges that your constituency or your prospects or customers? What are the what are the high level challenges that they face, and then contrast that with how would their life be different? What mm-hmm. can they do differently as a, as a result of working with
0: you? Yeah, you know, it, when you as you're talking through that about the the outcome, right? How is how is their life going to be different? by working with you, which doesn't have to do with anything with the, what you do, right. right. Gets to kind of, and I'm sure, you know, Simon Sinek, uh, and like the why, right? Love like, it, yeah. well, you, you know, it's not why, do you, isn't why do you do what you do? Because I love to invest money. That's not why you do what you do. You, you, you gotta have a deeper why. Right. And I love right. the, the example about Apple and they never came out and said, we build computers and they're, you know, they're great, right? That's not what they come out with. They right. come out and say, we're changing the world in the way that you interact with it. And, oh, by the way, we sell computers and phones and do all that, right? And it's right. a completely different message because it associates with, oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to help? I want to help change the world, right? I want to be a part of that. Right. Um, whereas a lot of computer companies are like, well, I have a 256 gigabyte hard drive with this RAM and everybody's like, I don't care. I have right. no idea what's in my Apple. I just bought it because I like Apple, right? Like, right. Does it work? Yeah, it's great. I love the company, but the company didn't sell me on the computer. The company sold me on their vision, which is their why. Well, I, I've got a great example of that.
1: Uh, it, was, it was actually the first financial advisor I worked with. This would have been five or six years ago, just on the heels of launching Master Messaging. And we sit sat down and I was having the same conversation. Why did you start? What, what was behind your impetus to start your, your financial advisor business and he goes my mom and, and I'm, I'm gonna get emotional just talking about this mm-hmm. I said well what happened he said um, my my dad died uh, prematurely it was you know all of a sudden and you know she was left with you know all these questions on um, you know, how do I manage my money and what do I do now? And and I watched her as a young man struggle with all of these challenges that she was left with because my dad passed away. Mm-hmm. And so when I made a decision, when, when he made the decision to go into the financial advisor world, um, he specifically wanted to do it to help divorcees and widows, mm. women that are being impacted by this dramatic life uh, event that, that 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 happens in their life, because he walked through that with his mother. He saw yeah. the the emotional impact that it had on his mother, and so when he um, when he started uh, you know uh, building this business, you know we sat down and I was like, so you, you're going after a very specific n- uh, niche in in this industry, and you've got a really compelling why, and so here's how your messaging is going to play out mm-hmm. that's going to tap into that why. But the reason that, that, that he has so much success is because he found something in himself that, um, that had passion and energy behind it. And he knew that he could make a difference with other women that are experiencing these, these same challenges. And so if, you, if, if you're a woman and you sit down and have a conversation with them, just like the Apple experience you know, mm-hmm. that you're talking about because they're so clear about their why, they feel that. Mm-hmm. In the conversations that they have with him,
0: mm-hmm. they,
1: it, it's just it's part of the experience, um, and so he's able to cut through the noise in the financial advisor world and go after a very specific niche mm-hmm. because he's so passionate about this why that he brings to it.
0: Yeah, and it's ma- and it changes the conversation so drastically. I mean, I see it in some of the firms that I've been a part a part of is that you know the clients that are attracted to you for and see the why of your firm and mm-hmm. the passion that you have, they're not the ones that come in and ask, well, what did my returns do today? What did my allocation do today? They say, exactly. am I still gonna be able to retire? Can I go travel to the world and do this? And it's a different conversation where you spend 95% of your time talking about them and their family and what they want and how they wanna get there. And they don't care how you do it. They just wanna say, am I gonna be able to do it? And you say, yeah, okay. As opposed to you spending ninety five percent of your time saying, "Well, here's your portfolio. This is why Apple's down, and this is why your allocation is this way." They don't care give a you know anything about that, right? Yeah. Um, they care about getting to their why, and um, and I think that that's that's a messaging. And so I think that gets into my next question, right? And it gets into. You know, we're talking about it on a client side. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it also, you can and fil- you know, filter it over to prospects, too. But this business, the biggest challenge that advisors always face. And they always come in and they talk to me on this podcast and I talk to you out in the industry. I say, what's your biggest challenge? And I, they their first answer is always growth. Growth, 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 growth. And right. I, I would argue that even if we gave them all the growth in the world, I don't think that – I think that there's biggest challenges, processes, and understanding and managing that growth. But sure. it's growth, right? Yeah. That's any business. Um, so how do you – what are like two or three ways that people can take this idea of, of communication of the, uh, of the why or, or the, the for the prospect to, to help close more prospects and increase their close rate? Because I think that that's a challenge on uh, many advisors' minds right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, actually I came up with a formula that um, a financial advisor or a business owner could use to address that very challenge.
0: OK, advisors love formulas.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the formula is this. When you're going through whatever the buying process is or, or the selling process is, from that initial conversation where you sit down with somebody for the very first time, they have very little insight as to who you are or, or how you go about doing what you're doing. From that very early conversation to, OK, sign on the dotted line. Mm-hmm. We're now joined at the hip and we're going to go at, at, at this together. There are steps that you have to walk through. And every step, you're asking the the prospect that you're communicating with, you're asking them to change, okay? So the the change may be, hey, give me 30 minutes of your time, right? And so human beings inherently are resistant to change. Mm -hmm. We we don't like change. We like comfort. We like predictable. We like what, what, what we know. So in order to get a human being to change, and again, that, at the end of the, this this buying process, that's what the financial advisor is asking for. I want you to stop what you're doing over here, and I want you to start doing it over here. Mm-hmm. That's That's dramatic change. Mm-hmm. So here's the formula. The value of what you're communicating has to be greater than the ask in order for it to equal change. Okay. Okay. All right. Value has to be greater than the ask in order to equal change. So let's say in the first conversation, that very first conversation, you succeed in communicating some value. Well, now you're going to ask them for another meeting, right? And they're already starting to think about this is going to lead to change, right? If the value that you communicated in that conversation was not high enough and you put that ask out there, they're going to say no,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? You get to the end of this this buying process again. It, it, it's true for every step that you go through. You have to communicate enough value, impart enough value in the conversation that you're having, in order for them to, uh, in order for you to put that ask out there. Uh, this this was in another industry, but uh, was working with a client. They said, uh, "Hey, we're getting stuck at this stage of the buyer's journey," and I said, "Well." What are, you, what are you asking for? And they go, well, it's it's after the second meeting, and we're asking for, a you know, an eighty to $120,000 engagement. I was like, after the second meeting? Yeah. I said, that's way too I, – I know that you guys can communicate value because right. we've worked on that, but that's way too big of an ask. You need an interim step before that big ask. And they're like, well, what would be an interim step? And I'm going, why don't you do a – so they're a marketing firm. I said, why don't you do a um, – positional analysis, competitive analysis in the marketplace mm-hmm. for, for that prospect and then come back to them with that analysis. It's another way for them to have even more of an experience with you right? and to, to, to see the value that you're able to deliver. They came back to me uh, about six weeks later. They said, we've already closed two deals because of using this interim step. So, again, the, the formula is value has to be greater than the ask that you're putting in front of a prospect in every stage in order for them to change in order for them to to do whatever it is that you're you're asking them to
0: do. Okay so I'm going to dig and I, I'm going kind of deep on this and it's just because my my mind is linear I think linearly in a lot of ways Okay so value I understand is you know how is all it's all in the eyes of the, I mean, it's it's perception, right? The nope. value I think I'm providing, I think, is a lot higher value than probably what you are perceiving it to be.
1: Well, there's a yes and a no to that. Okay. Okay. So Dan- Let's down Dan- down. Daniel Kahneman, yep. uh, brilliant behavioral psychologist. He wrote a book, uh, bestseller, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Yep. What a lot of people don't know is he actually um, he, he, more famous than that. He he won a Nobel Prize in economics in 2002. Behavioral psychologist wins a Nobel Prize in economics. That's unheard of. Mm-hmm. The reason that he won the Nobel Prize, if you want to skinny it down, is he broke the code on how human beings perceive value. Now, yes, you're right. The end result of this mechanism that he identified is highly personal and individual for every, you know, every, every human being. But the way that they get to that individual perception of value is the same for you and I and for every other human being that walks on the planet. And here's how that shows up. Mm-hmm. I already alluded to it and kind of hinted, mm-hmm. hinted to it mm-hmm. earlier in the conversation. Value is perceived in a contrasting worldview. It's literally, this is what your world looks like without my product or service, and this is what your world could look like with my product or service. And it's however dramatic that contrast can be mm-hmm. is going to determine the perception of value.
0: Okay. So let's let's dig into that for a second. And Daniel sure. Kahneman, if you haven't read Thinking Faster and Slow, you uh, I would encourage you to get the Cliff Notes. Yeah, I, I started reading it. It's a it's an amazing book, but it's a tough book. It um, is. But he is an amazing mind and, and, and brilliant. Um, so in theory, if I'm hearing this the right way, right, mm-hmm. you're saying that – and how we can kind of relate it back to a financial advisor or the industry is say, okay, today your world is um, – you are able to do X, Y, and Z. You're able to travel to once a year, you work 45 hours a week and everything of that nature. In my scenario, based on what we're going to, what we would be able to help you with is I think that we can help you now travel three times a year and work and you can continue to work 45 hours, but you're going to get that extra two travels. Yeah, That's the, this is where you are. And everybody would strive to be in this new perceived better world, um, of how is that? Is that the? It's that. That's a, that's a good. A first, very linear.
1: Yeah, that's a good first stab at it. But for that, um, I
0: appreciate this you is, being kind on yeah, and let me down. It, it,
1: for that, this is what your world looks like. I wouldn't necessarily go to, hey, you work, you know, forty-five hours a week, and you can take one trip. I would also talk about the difficulty in how hard it is to take that one trip. Mm-mm. What are the challenges? Wh- what are the things that you're facing? What are the hurdles that you're having to overcome to even do that? Because mm. what you wanna do is, is in creating this contrast, there's also uh, an opportunity to evoke emotion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and emotion is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, again, two other brilliant behavioral psychologists, one in 2002 and one in 2004, proved what we've long su- suspected about human behavior And that is we make decisions based on meaning and emotion and then justify it with logic and reason. Okay? Mm -hmm. So – and and by the way, there's a whole other story behind that, but we won't get into it right now. I mean, we could have a whole
0: other podcast on behavioral psychology. I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So this this equation over here, this is what your world looks like. You want them to feel the emotional impact of their current state, right? So what does it mean that you can only take your family one week out of the year? Mm -hmm. How does that impact your family? How does that impact your spouse? You know, so there's all kinds of questions that you can ask Mm. to to let them really feel the emotional impact of where they are today. And then when you, then you flip the conversation, you go, what if you could, and then you start painting this picture of this world that they could have with Mm -hmm. you, right? Mm -hmm. What if you could take three to four trips every year? What if you could uh, deepen your relationship with those rebellious teenagers, Because you're in this environment that, you know, that allows you to do that. Um, And that's the other important thing in this equation for financial advisors. Um, And I think for the most part, they do a really good job of it. Finding out what's important to their client. What are they trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. And then ask, and this goes back to the Simon Sinek thought leadership, ask why, why is that important? right? So go deep, you know, go as deep as you can. And again, none of these conversations or none of what we're talking about has anything to do with all of the mechanisms and the financial, you know, machinery back here that that is going to facilitate that. Because mm-hmm. again, they don't really care about this, Yeah, right? That's kind of table stakes. If you're a financial advisor, you have to be able
0: to talk about the world that you live in. Those right. are table stakes. And I think that that's the challenge that faces financial advisors is is that eq kind of challenge of yeah. being able to emotionally connect and understand and have those deep conversations because i think that too many financial advisors say well you know what that i don't want to i don't want to go deep too deep with them like i i just want to stay up here right but if you do get deeper with them the relationship and i see it as well when when i was managing individual clients you know it's a changed relationship. I had clients where we were on the surface and I had clients where we were deep, where I knew everything about them. And they knew stuff about me. Right. This is, a, I mean, the clients that know everything about me and that I go deep with on them and I was able to emotionally connect with are, are the bigger ones. I think that that's the, the challenge that we have to help advisors get over to be able to be better closers, better salespeople, but also better stewards to their clients going forward. Um, so I want to touch on a f- two different. I want to touch on two more things before we flip over to buy sell. Okay. One is social media. So we're talking about a lot of this of how to communicate in person and talk with people. Social media is something that's kind of taboo to talk about in a financial advisory world, right? People don't want to. Financial advisors don't think that it works for getting clients because we're a service-based relationship business. Mm-hmm. But in reality, social media works, and it can help to get new prospects, close new prospects, and deepen relationships with um, current clients. Right. Using these types of conversations of how to deliver value, how, you know, let's go on the how here for a second. How okay. can advisors better leverage these insights to utilize social media to help with closing new, getting new clients and deepening relationship with current clients? Yeah.
1: Well, so it, it still comes back to the value equation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, it's not enough. Uh, and, and I'm actually going to rag on my financial advisor a little bit. Uh, so I get a, I think it's a weekly. Uh, newsletter. And it's typically, hey, here's what's going on with the market. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I could get that, you know, in any kind of news feed as to what's going on with the market. And so from a social media standpoint, again, it comes back to value. You want to find ways to communicate and share content that would represent value to whoever your constituency is. Uh, And that's a really, really important point. We haven't really touched on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So as a financial advisor, who, who is your ideal client? Who, who are you trying to market to? Mm-hmm. Right? You have to understand their world. And again, I gave the, the, the uh, example of a divorcee or a widower. Um, that makes it very easy to identify what kind of social media content should I be creating for the uh, constituency that I serve. Right. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand your constituency and who you're going after, if you don't understand their world, you're never going to be able to create content that's relevant and impactful to them. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as the content that you post, whether it's on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever the social media it is, it has to represent value. There has to be something unique to it and something that represents value. So focus on the challenges that your constituency face. Um, what are some of the things that they're bumping up against? What do you what do you hear more times than not when you're talking to your existing clients that represent real challenges? Hold those challenges out in social media and then give them a quick, you know, again, what if you could do this instead? Mm-hmm. What if the, what if these possibilities were, were available to you?
0: You're asking them to give up five minutes, ten minutes of their time to either watch your video, read your blog, whatever, listen to your podcast. And there right. better be enough value for that ask, right? And right. so that's a small ask. but. There's so much there. They get so much content in their face that they better have some value there. And like you said, it goes back to the equation, which I love that equation uh, in terms of determining whether they're going to read it or not. And if you're just putting out whether you should do a Roth or a traditional, like, I, I mean, that, I can, there's thousands, millions of those articles out there. Give me yeah. something that's a value to make it worth me spending five minutes of my time to yeah. read it or watch it.
1: So I'll, I'll give you another quick example. I was thinking about this when I was running this morning. Go,
0: um, barefoot. So,
1: so I, yeah. So I have, uh, my kids are, uh, let's see, 25 to 30. I've got four kids, okay. four adult kids. Um, when they were in their early twenties, I could see them struggling with uh, budget, just establishing a budget, even even when they got into their first job, mm-hmm. you know how to, how to manage their money. Well, you know, for most financial advisors, my kids would not be a very lucrative target for them to go after mm-hmm. until uh, maybe 10 years from now or five years from now. Or my oldest son gets into baseball and he starts right. making some serious money. The point that I'm making there is that if I were trying to build a, uh, a financial advisory practice and I was going after people in their early 20s, I'd be talking about the challenges of managing their money. And then offering up tips and insights and suggestions on how they can better plan their money, budget their money, um, and, and and again, that's just just one small example. But that would come from knowing these are the people that I'm going after. This yeah. is my target audience, and then understanding what are what what you know what are articles that are being written about this demographic, what are the challenges that they're facing financially, what are some ideas or thoughts that I can hold out to them on a regular basis that would help them start to you know, chip away at, at those challenges.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what you're alluding to a little bit earlier is like understanding your clients a little bit better. I think that that's something that advisors have to get better at, right? We, mm-hmm. we used to segment our clients based on AUM or assets under management. And, uh, and say, all right, well, here's our under million dollar clients. Here's our million to three million. And here's our three million to five million. And that's how people used to segment. We got to change that and say, you know, here are all the people that like to travel. Here are all the people that like sports. Here are the people that want to spend time with their family. Here are the people that want charities. And then you can direct more value and content towards those people. And so exactly. you, have to, you have to rethink the way that you segment your clients, which means that, yeah. We're probably going to have to do a little bit more work to figure that out. Ask yeah. the right questions, surveying, following on social media, connecting with our clients deeper. And it may be a little bit more difficult than just looking at what they're letting you manage in their portfolio. And, right. um, uh, and so that's, uh, I think, a takeaway I got there. Um, uh, so last two questions. You're you have a book. You're in the process of writing a book, and mm-hmm. kudos to you. I've written a book before. Uh, it it did not sell like hotcakes, so don't take any advice <laughs> from me. Um, it uh, I got plenty of copies. I give them away for free yeah. to Goodwill and everything of that nature. Um, tell us about the book. What are What are you? What is it about that you're writing towards, mm-hmm. and who's it targeted for?
1: So it would be targeted for uh, really any, any business owner or anybody that's involved in selling a product or a service, mm-hmm. right? Um, the focus of the book and, and actually the title of the book, unless I change it before the final edit, is uh, 6X, Convert More Prospects to Customers. Okay. One of the questions that you asked me earlier, right? How do you, How do you convert more of those opportunities, more of those prospects into actual uh, paying customers? And where the 6X came from? Uh, worked with a, a software company here in Atlanta. Um, they were having challenges with the first conversation. And they were only converting about eight percent of those conversations into the next stage of their sales process. After using the principles that you, that we've touched on here today, some of the things that we've talked about, built a um, basically a playbook for that first call. Uh, one quarter later, their conversion rate went to forty-seven percent. Wow more than six times the wow. uh, you know what they what they were experiencing. So really the focus of the book is really those it's those early stage conversations that you're having with a prospect and the things that should be showing up in those conversations. Um, there's even a framework that I hold out to them. Here's a here's a roadmap that any business owner could use to create a high value conversation. Because that first conversation, it's the most important. Mm-hmm you don't make a good impression. You don't communicate value. You don't build some trust and credibility in that first conversation. There's no second, mm-hmm. right? So the book really does focus on those early stage conversations. The first, really like for, uh, one, two, and three, um, and uh, you know, for every industry and for every business, the what happens in those those first three conversations is a little bit different. But there are again behavioral psychology principles. There's some very specific processes and a roadmap that I walk them through in the book. Uh, So it's really, it's a self-help book. Mm -hmm. If you're a business owner and you want to know how to build those early stage conversations and how to execute those to build credibility and trust and communicate high value, the book would be worth a read.
0: I'm excited about it. And I hope you will let us know so we can promote it to our listeners when it does come out uh, from that standpoint. So last question before we get to buy, sell. Um, So where We've talked a lot about financial advisors, and I always ask this question, and you're coming from a different seat, but you've worked with financial advisors, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm interested in your, your perception of it. Where do you see this industry in 10 years? You know, um, I, there's,
1: I think there's going to be a lot of disruption through the use of arti- artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and this, all of this data that we have a, at our fingertips. Um, and so I don't know what that disruption is going to look like in the financial advisors world. I'll I'll throw it a, a what if what if this technology starts to make the uh, investment strategies and, and the things that uh, individuals are, are wanting to accomplish financially what if it makes it easier for them because mm-hmm. you know, we're already seeing a lot of self-serve right mm-hmm. that's been around for about 20 years now mm-hmm. uh, 15 20 years where you've got a lot of people that are just they're, they're you know they're, they're doing it on their own they're, they're not using an advisor. So where I see this going for financial advisors is that emotional uh, element that we were talking about earlier, the ability to connect with people, um, you know, uh, emotionally and, and to build these strong relationships. I think that's going to become even more important. Yeah. And I think where that's going to uh, take the industry is that word advisor. It's going to be more dominant than financial. Hmm. Okay. So it's not financial advisor. It's financial advisor. hmm And so being able to bring that advisory skill to your clients in in the next 10 years is going to be critical. Mm -hmm. They should should be thinking about you first when they have an important life decision. And and it may not even be a a, a direct tie to uh, something that would be financially impactful to them. It may be a career decision. It may be something else. So the more value that an advisor can add – I think is going to be uh, it's going to be key. It's going to be critical mm-hmm. in order to continue to succeed.
0: I love that. I am so in line with you on that, and I think it's such an interesting uh, perspective from someone that's not in the industry because we we have we have a lot of people from the industry, a lot of people out of the industry. But um, I think that that's why technology needs to enable advisors to be able to take off those menial tasks mm-hmm. of managing money, asset allocation, financial planning task management, because the time that's needed to have those deep conversations and emotional conversations and getting deep into that, that's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And if you're spending time, 50% of your time doing a conversation about the investments and all that type of stuff and planning for that, you don't have the ability of planning and having that deeper conversation. And if you do, then you're not able to expand your book of business, which then means that you're not growing, which means that you're not right it all is a domino effect. It and, is. um, And if you can use technology to get time back, so you can spend more time with more people Mm -hmm. and having those conversations, then you're now helping impact and and provide fulfillment to more people to have a better life. And that's what it's all about, to be a financial advisor. And so uh, I love that. I'm all on board. I'm on that 10-year train. I'm on David Kirkshen's 10-year train (laughs) uh, on that side. All right, let's get into Buy Sell. Uh, Buy Sell is a cheesy game I put together Mm -hmm. to loop in a little bit of financial stuff with some interesting takes uh, from that standpoint. Sure, I'll say a comment. You say buy if you think it's true, sell if you think it's false, um, and then you can kind of give a quick, you know, sentence or two of why. Sure. If you believe that. All right. So, uh, and some of these may be softballs for you, but I always like to make it a little <laughs> bit easier uh, on my guests so that they come back. Buy or sell. Financial advisors should be leveraging social media to create deeper connections with current clients. Buy. By. explain
1: yeah, yeah yeah so any opportunity to touch uh, and when I say touch it's it's communicate mm-hmm. with your constituency with your clients and prospects uh, again the value that's represented in them working with you. Um, one of, the, one of the, the most precious commodities in today's world is uh, to get somebody's attention because mm-hmm. I mean, we're bombarded with all this information and all this content. And so if you have the opportunity to uh, get somebody's attention in, in your cons- constituency and communicate something of value, it's critical. Mm-hmm. So definitely buy.
0: Love it. Buy or sell, and this kind of goes up to your uh your tenure future. Artificial intelligence solutions can help advisors communicate their value to clients. So all right. I was way off there. Why? Well, I so I can see I why say, it's a little bit different than your tenure. Yeah, so
1: so if you were telling me uh, artificial intelligence can help them serve Fair, their clients, I, I would I would have gone by. Okay. But when you're saying communicate, no. No, because the communication does need to be personal. Communicate. I, we're, I'm dealing with this with, with other industries. There's technology out there that can run campaigns inside of LinkedIn that looks like it's a human being, right? As far as, no. you know, getting the messaging and all that. But most human beings, when they read it, they find things that are off-putting. Why did they say that? That's not the right way to say. It. And so they they start to tell pretty quickly. This is a machine communicating with me. Mm-hmm. This is not a human being. Mm-hmm. And and it goes back to what I was saying earlier. The the advisor part is so personal. You you have to the communication has to be personal. It has to be it, it has to be genuine. Yeah. And I don't know of any technology out there that can replicate that.
0: I can I can see that. I agree with that. I think that's a good one. Okay. Buy or sell the financial advisor in financial advisory industry. Lags in their ability to communicate value relative to other service-oriented industries. So I, there's, I would come down right in between. All right, you're a hold. No, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we I, don't I, have buy sell hold because it's too many words. But buy.
1: Oh, yeah, it, it would be a hold because um, a, again, in seven years, master messaging, I've worked with over 120 different companies. Uh, they all face the same challenge Hmm. communicating value Okay. Um, and so it's every now and then you you run across a company or or, uh, an industry that's doing really well but I don't see the financial advisors as being worse or better so
0: that's that's music to financial advisors ears out there listening congratulations (laughs) Um, buy or sell and I think that we know where we're going with this one the majority of communication in five years will be in other ways outside of in-person communication face to face so
1: Yep. It, it it may be right. in other industries, but for this industry, no. That would be a definite
0: sale. So, so it needs to it needs to be personal. And that's a and that's a that's another music to years of financial advisors because I think that early on in the robo world, people were fearful that technology is gonna take over their job. And I think we're now making that transition of the pendulum moved over to uh, advisors seeing that the uh, technology will augment them, right. not replace them, right. and uh, I think that that's a really good thing. So, all right, buy sell. It looks like I I built you up to be uh, a little bit of a bear. You're leaning a little bit bearish. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's okay. Uh, we love bears back. So uh, right. next time, I I teed you up for that. So I okay. apologize. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's go into a closing thought for with you for you know ninety seconds or so, and then I'll do a closing thought, and then we'll uh, get back to our day. Sounds good. All right. So tell me tell. I'll, I'll tee this up, and you can go one direction or another. But one thing that a financial advisor, from our conversation and from your background, can take away and go and implement somehow tomorrow and better themselves and better their firm and push them ahead.
1: Yeah. So I, I was thinking about this. Um, I'd have to imagine that most financial advisors uh, get a good bit of their business through referrals, right? So you you have um, an existing client; they have a a, a deep trust in the relationship. Um, and financial advisors, again, from time to time will be like, hey, who do you know mm-hmm. that could benefit from the similar type of relationship? So I would suggest that they take it one step further. And this has been kind of a common theme for our, for our talk today. I would go back to the clients that have said, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to refer you or clients that, that have, you know, over time referred uh, other people to you. Go back to those individuals and ask them, why were you comfortable Referring these people to me, and what you should be looking for is a common thread. What what are some of the common themes that you're hearing, and what they're feeding back to you? Mm-hmm. And if they just say, "Because I trust you," um, I, I I would push push on that. Okay, so where did that trust come from? Hmm. You know. So I, the 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 takeaway from today would be to understand why your clients are comfortable doing business with you, why they would be willing to refer other people to you and then let that be the core of any messaging or communication that you create going forward this is this is how you're going to get to the um, the uniqueness of what you bring to your relationships and your business Mm. and uniqueness is so important in a commoditized world because as human beings and again this is all over behavioral psychology we're constantly looking for outliers What's different? You walk into a room, whether you know it or not, you're trying to figure out what's different. What doesn't belong here? What, what's standing out? What's unique?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the same thing's is tr- going to be true in any conversation. So going back to the gentleman that I made reference to earlier that uh, serves uh, divorcees and, and widowers, again, he's really clear about his why. And that comes out in all of the conversations that he has and people just experience that and it allows him to have the success that he's looking looking to have. Mm. So my takeaway from today would be, understand why your clients do business with you, and then let that be the centerpiece of the communication and the conversations that you have with your prospects.
0: And that's a tough conversation. Mm-hmm. That's It can be a tough conversation for advisors to have, but I think you're right. It's a necessary one because if you don't ask them, you're never going to truly know. Right. And sometimes people don't want to hear what their client may have to say or may stir the pot to where they now are starting to think, well, why am I? I don't know why I'm a, ma- why I like you so much. And then, <laughs> uh, and financial advisors are very cognizant of that. And so I, uh, but I agree. I think that it's time to, to be comfortable being uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah. Doing that. Yeah. I love that. We talk a lot about, uh, on this podcast, financial advisors. And the biggest risk in the future isn't that that we will have fee compression and have to lower our fee or our AUM fee, how we charge it, but rather margin compression. Financial advisors are going to be forced to provide more services, value, and servicing to their clients. And in order to keep healthy margins in the business, advisors will have to find ways to be more efficient and scalable. And we will be forced to ensure they correctly communicate their value to clients. Too often in the industry, we have struggled with communicating the value we provide to our clients. As advisors, we provide more value than just an asset allocation and choosing the right securities. We provide the sounding board to help keep individuals from being too greedy when things are great or selling at the bottom when things are falling off a cliff. Showing this type of value is hard. So the challenge is how do we change the conversation with our clients to minimize the focus on the natural market fluctuations to help clients keep their eyes on the larger picture and off the day-to-day volatility? It's a matter of changing the conversation from stocks and bonds to fulfillment. What do clients want to do when they retire? What do they want to enjoy while they're raising their kids? What drives them day in and day out? What charities do they wish they could interact with more? These are questions that can be tough to tackle with clients that they only see you as the, quote, stock person. But these are the conversations that will expose what truly matters to your clients and it will allow you an opportunity to build a plan that serves their wants and desires while helping to ensure the strategy allows them to have money tomorrow while still enjoying their needs today. If an advisor is able to have these types of conversations like Dave and I have talked about that strike a true nerve with their clients and are things they can wrap their heads around today, then showing value is simple. Just point to the trip they were able to take or the tuition they were able to pay for or the charity they were able to donate to. Whether the market is up or down, you are delivering value in an easy to understand way. And that's one way to change the conversation and focus on the value our clients desire. David, Thanks again for coming down. I really appreciate that conversation and I think our listeners did too. You're welcome. So let's do it again. When the book comes out, let's talk all book. Okay, we'll do it. And to all the listeners out there, thank you again for taking time out of your busy day to listen in to Bridging the Gap and we'll be in your ears again next week.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating
0: and let us know what you think.